Welcome to Real Life. Hi, I'm Jim Miller, and you're listening to the Real Life LA podcast, coming to you from the Southern California foothills town of Glendora, California. We're a church for everyone, and we exist to lead lost people to Jesus, building a community of grace with a God-sized vision that reaches from generation to generation. As you hear today's message, we pray that God speaks specifically to you, opens your heart, and shows you how to live each day with more joy, beauty, and wonder. Good morning. Welcome to Real Life. If you're here for the first time this morning, I'm Jim. I'm your pastor. It's great to be with you. I am so thankful for this church. Uh, um, I had a great moment yesterday where I realized everything that was going on in the life of the church on Saturday. It wasn't Sunday, right? We weren't gathered here. And um, so so yesterday, there's a, a crew of people out there spreading rock on the ground so that we can park more cars here on Sunday morning. Meanwhile, there's a crew over at God's Pantry giving out groceries to people in need to help make in, ends meet. Meanwhile, there's a team setting up the chapel to get ready for brunch today so we can start that new ministry. Meanwhile, there's a team out knocking on doors, knocked on 300 doors yesterday to invite people to come to church. Meanwhile, the the elementary students are up at camp. One of them decided to follow Jesus yesterday. Uh, we got people up there serving. All these things are going on, and it's Saturday. And that's a good church. That's a good church. It's a good church because ministry should happen Monday to Saturday. It's not just a Sunday gathering. Worship should happen Monday to Saturday. It's, it's, it's not just a Sunday gathering. Uh, and, and what we ought to do on Sunday is we ought to be able to look back and say, look at all the things that God did in my life this week. Look at all the ways God was moving. Look at all the hearts that God touched. And we gather on Sunday just to share stories. We prepare for the week that's to come. We pray and we study God's word and we worship. But we, re- we review, thankfully, everything that God has done in our lives over the course of the last week. And I, I love the fact that I know you guys are up to stuff uh, when we're not here together. And I'm thankful for that. So we're in a new series of uh, teachings now on the weekends called Love, Sex, and the Text. And uh, if you weren't here last weekend, you can follow along on our podcasts at reallife.la. Uh, last weekend, I got away with saying all kinds of things pastors aren't allowed to say in church. And I still have a job, yay! And uh, so, so thank you for, uh, for coming back. Um, we're in the middle of a series where we're addressing some big questions of life and some intimate questions and questions that churches don't often talk about. And historically, when churches have talked about these subjects, they've talked about them primarily in the negative. But instead of talking about God's punishments in the course of this series, I want to talk about God's promises. I want to talk about what God holds out to us in the world of relationships and intimacy and love. And so that's what we're looking at together uh, in, in this series. Um, today, I want, to get into, uh, I want to get into a biblical text in Galatians chapter 5, a biblical text in, in which the Apostle Paul, this first century preacher, speaks, in, speaks into my world, and I hope speaks into your world. You ever have that moment where you realize that there, there are, uh, there's a way that you want to live that's good and healthy and right, and then there's desires that you have to do things that you know are not going to put you on the right course. And you stand there sort of trapped between them thinking, 
am I the only person who's torn up like this? I mean, is everybody else just kind of on the right page and I'm the only one who's like constantly dealing with struggles and frustrations and temptations and confusions? Is it just me? Uh, is everybody at church, you know, they, all, they all got it figured out and I'm the only one who's just kind of keeping quiet about it? <laughs> or is everybody in the same boat? And if so, if so what's the point of church, right? Uh, Paul knows that world. The Bible knows that world. And the Bible speaks exactly into that experience of life. And so I want to look at that biblical text today. Uh, let's, uh, let's go to the text together in prayer. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you know us and that you love us and that even those dark recesses of our hearts that we are afraid of ourselves, that we don't want to share, that we don't want anyone to know about, I thank you that you, you know them intimately and deeply and you love us all the same and you love us all the more. God, may your spirit reach into the hearts of people who are hurting today because of the confusions and the brokenness of their past. They're afraid even to reach out in your direction. God, by the love of your heart and the power of your spirit, reach into those who stand at a distance from you. Woo them back to you with a deep compassion. God, bless those places in our lives where we're struggling to do right where we know we've done wrong and we want to we fix things and we want to do things in healthy ways, but we feel like we can't do it on our own. God, empower us by your spirit. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. All right, you can open in your Bibles, turn on your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. This is a letter that a first century preacher wrote to a church that he had started, gathering of Christians or meeting at homes, and he writes them to talk about living faithfully. And as he does so, he speaks into a world where they understood uh, the idea of a, um, of a guardian or a, a nursemaid or a tutor who watches over children and makes sure they behave until they grow up to full maturity. And he's going to use that image in this text. This is Galatians chapter 5 at verse 16. Listen to the word of God. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Uh, now when Paul says flesh, he is not saying that the physical body is a bad thing. The Bible never says that. Uh, in fact, the early Christians said that that teaching, the teaching that the physical body is a bad thing, is a false teaching. That's a false doctrine. So that's not the teaching of the scriptures. When Paul says the flesh, he uses that as just sort of a, a literary device to say all of those desires that get the best of you and make you do things that you don't want to. Uh, the flesh is that desire uh, that I have when I see a, uh, a triple-layer chocolate cake in the refrigerator, and it's 7 o'clock in the morning, and that's not what is for breakfast. And you're not supposed to touch it. And the flesh cries out, you will touch it now. Right? That's the flesh. And the spirit, uh, if you gratify the desires of the spirit, you will not uh, gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now, under the law was actually an important term for Paul and the first century Jewish world. The, the Jewish people were given God's law, the, the Ten Commandments and the 600 other laws that are in the, the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Scriptures, and they were told, follow these laws, that's what God wants. Follow these laws and you will live a perfect life. And in his letter to Galatia, 
Paul compares the law to a, a concept that they knew about in the ancient world. Uh, if you were a, a well-to-do family in the Greek or the Roman world, you would hire a tutor to oversee your children, particularly your sons. And the goal was to teach them to behave well and to understand moral behavior and to grow up in wisdom and maturity and to become a good public speaker. And then maybe one day they could be in the Senate. And that was the goal, to be a statesman. And so they would hire these tutors who followed the children everywhere, reigning in their behavior, uh, punishing the children like a parent would if they stepped out of line and making sure the child behaved and was safe and would grow up well. Paul says, when you grow up into full maturity, you no longer need that tutor. That person is done. You're now a mature adult and you're guided by your own wisdom and maturity. He says, in the same way, the law, the Jewish law, the law of God, was put in place to lead you to Christ. And when you are empowered by the Spirit, when you are filled with Christ, you are no longer under law. The law governs you like a tutor until you realize, one, you can't obey the law by your own efforts, and two, Christ in you can fulfill the law can make you live well. And so that's what Paul means. If you're led by the Spirit, you're not under law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. And now he's going to go through a list of all these bad behaviors uh, that, that show that uh, your life is not in the right place. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, hatred discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is not a reference to the afterlife. It's God's kingdom in your life right now. If, if this is what's going on in your life, God's reign is not apparent in your life. But, Paul says, and now he's going to give us a list of virtues. He's given us a list of vices. Now he's going to give us a list of virtues. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, Peace, patience, uh, some texts will say forbearance, but patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Against such things, there is no law. If you are filled by the Spirit and the virtues of the Spirit are manifesting in your life, you no longer need the tutor, you no longer need the overseer to guide you around because the Spirit is guiding you. Um, the fruit of the Spirit, by the way, for those of you who are biblical scholars, is something that a lot of people like to commit to memory. And they'll pray over it. They'll pray just on a daily basis. God, uh, bring more love into my life. Bring more joy into my life. Bring more peace into my life. Uh, and so this is a good one to commit to memory. And just a little side note here. There's a good little uh, memory trick to memorize these. Do you know the little memory trick? There's, so there's nine of, the, nine of these. And the first three have one syllable. Love, joy, peace. And the second three have two syllables, patience, kindness, goodness. That's why I don't like forbearance. That messes up my patience, right? The patience, kindness, goodness. And then the last three have three syllables, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. So that's a good way to memorize those if you want to commit those to memory and pray over those every day. Okay, so let's look at what Paul's doing here. This is actually a form of writing that was common in the first century world. So you have these, these tutors, these mentors who guide uh, children to be virtuous and not to uh, practice vices. And sometimes they would write these down. They would write their virtue list and their vice lists, vice lists down. And so modern scholars now refer to these 
as Greco-Roman virtuelists and Greco-Roman vicelists. So Paul's writing something that was already a normal kind of writing in his day. Uh, and uh, if, if, you ever, if you ever get to read the ancient Roman moral tutor, uh, Seneca, Seneca's writings are beautiful. Uh, he was a personal tutor to uh, a kid who would grow up to be uh, the emperor, would grow up to be Caesar. And, uh, and his writings are beautiful, and he's funny, he has a great sense of humor. When you read it, it reads like somebody wrote it today. And for 1,500 years in the universities, they read Seneca. And for, it, I'm so sad, Seneca has fallen out of the main curriculum of our universities today, because Seneca, Seneca was a beautiful Roman uh, moral teacher. Now, his, his student, the kid he tutored, was Nero, who was a, a terrible dictator, so it didn't work, but it was still, still good writing. Um, so, so here's how the ancient Greco-Roman virtuous and vice-less work. This is, this is uh, important to understanding this text. In these lists that these moral teachers would craft, the first word dominates the rest of the list. The first word governs the list. So what's the first word in the virtue list here in, the, in this passage, in Galatians 5? Love, right, and that makes sense, right, love. If you're loving, you're gonna be patient. If you're loving, you're gonna be kind. If you're loving, you're gonna be gentle. Love governs all those other virtues. And the Greek word here is agape, which means an all-giving, self-surrendering kind of love, the love of a parent for a child, the love of a, a lover for the beloved. I would do anything for you, I would give everything for you. Love governs all the other virtues. Now, go over and look at the vice list. What's the number one vice, the first vice listed? Sexual immorality. That's weird. I want them to say hate there, right? Right, because hate is the opposite of love. And that's not what Paul says. Paul says, the, the Greek word is porneia, from which we get the word pornography, porneia. And porneia is actually a, a, a specific category uh, in the world of sexual immorality, it's not one particular behavior or another. It's the twisting of love and taking it out of context. Porneia is love expressed wrongly. So whether it's adultery or uh, uh, sexual promiscuity or whatever it is, it, it's, it's love expressed wrongly. It's love twisted. That's porneia. And that leads to all the other vices. Right? If you twist love, it will manifest itself in all kinds of brokenness in your life. That actually makes sense, because very few people in the world are purely motivated by hate and evil. It's far more common that people are motivated by love in the wrong way, love that is twisted. Uh, C.S. Lewis, the great uh, Christian writer and theologian and Oxford scholar, uh, wrote a little book in which he describes love and twisted love uh, in this way. He wrote a book called The Screwtape Letters, uh, a, a book that made him famous around the world. And the Screwtape Letters uh, are a, a collection of letters from one devil to another devil telling him how to tempt human beings and lead them astray. So it's one senior demon writing to a junior demon and saying, if you really want to make sure you distract human beings from God, here's what you do. And so C.S. Lewis uses that as a vehicle to give us all kinds of good theological teaching. You just have to make sure you read everything in reverse. Right? If, if screw tape, the, the senior devil says it's bad, then it's actually probably very good. And if, if he says it's good, then it's actually probably very bad. Uh, and, uh, and as they talk to each other, when they talk about God, they don't say God, they just say our enemy. Right? Our enemy thinks this way. Uh, and so in the midst of these letters from this one devil to another, 
uh, they talk about love, and they talk about twisting love. Uh, and this is what they say. Never forget then that when we are dealing with any pleasure in its healthy and normal and satisfying form, we are, in a sense, on the enemy's ground. So when we're dealing with pleasure, that's God's territory, not ours. I know we have won many a soul through pleasure. All the same, it is his invention, not ours. He made the pleasures. All our research so far has enabled us to produce, all our research so far has not enabled us to produce one. All we can do is encourage to humans to take the pleasures which our enemy has produced at times or in ways or in degrees which he has forbidden. We can't produce pleasures. These are the devils talking. We can't make pleasures. All we can do is take the ones that God made and teach them to use them in the wrong ways or at the wrong time or to the wrong degree. Uh, that's, that's what the, the devil, well, that's what screw tape is trying to do. Hence, we always try to work away from the natural condition of any pleasure to that in which it is least natural, least reminiscent of its maker, and least pleasurable. An ever-increasing craving for an ever-diminishing pleasure is the formula. And that's a great definition of addiction. An ever-increasing pleasure for uh, ever-increasing desire for an ever-decreasing pleasure, right? And that's, C.S. Lewis says, that's the best the devils can do. They can't create pleasures. God did all that. All the devils can do is take it and twist it. All they can do is make you use it in the wrong way, at the wrong time, to the wrong degree, and that'll ruin it. Uh, the Bible says from beginning to end, uh, pleasure is God's creation. Uh, God, God made happiness. God made beauty. God made truth. Those are all his. And, and those are never bad things. But they can be twisted and misused. Uh, let me give you a kind of a living uh, object lesson uh, that uh, captures what the Bible says about this from beginning to end. <clears throat> I'm not going to break the expensive guitar. I'm not going to mess with Royce's expensive equipment. And there. I did some arts and crafts this week. <laughs> if you'd like to be on the new props team here at Real Life Church, send, send, send a text to 626-214-5944 uh, and uh, tell us I'm more creative than the pastor. Um, this is what the Bible says about the ordering of our lives. The Bible says that you are made by God. This is what we talked about last week. Genesis 1:27. You are made by God. You are made to be a beautiful thing. God is proud of what he did in you. God looks at you and cherishes you. Looks at you among the, the seven or eight billion other people on this planet. And goes, oh, I like that one. Oh, I'm so proud of that one. Right? God made you. And you and I are healthiest when we find our identity in him. When we are, as the Bible says, clothed with Christ. When we realize it is Christ in us and not us. When it is Jesus moving through us, that's when we are healthiest. And so our lives are best, are healthiest, when we begin with our spiritual identity, our identity in Jesus, and build everything else on that. From there, we can learn to love one another. We love as Christ loved. This is actually the, the Bible's advice on marriage and relationships. Love one another as Christ loved you. Uh, we build our sense for love, our understanding of love, our definition of love on the God who is love. We only learn to love because God shows us what love is. So we find our identity in Christ, and then we learn to love as Christ loves. From there, we can learn to make promises to one another. 
Because love is healthiest when expressed in a context of trust. And trust comes from commitment and promises. Now, a lot of marital conflict happens when people think the promise of marriage is based on the promise of marriage. A promise cannot be based on itself. Well, I promised, and it's a promise, so it's a promise. So I promised, so I got to keep a promise because it's a promise. There's, there's nothing grounding that. That's just you deciding to do it and not deciding not to do it. Promises are only meaningful when they're grounded in something bigger than themselves. When your promises are, are grounded in the God who is the God of promise keeping, the God who keeps his promises and shows us how to keep promises, and empowers us to keep promises, and calls us to keep promises. Only then do our promises have weight. Only then are they anchored. And so in the context of a God who loves us, and teaches us to love one another, and calls us to make good and healthy promises, we can have trusting relationships. And from all that comes winky face. You know what winky face is? I don't actually, I don't, I, I got this from another pastor. Can somebody help me? I, I just saw this on another website. I don't, I'll ask my wife. Um, from all that comes winky face, right? And, and this is not, this is not God up in heaven saying, I think I'm going to make some rules just to see if I can tie them down. Just see if I can take those fleshly desires and make them harder and harder to deal with. That's not it at all. This is actually just biology. This is just, this is just the, 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 the way the world is made. We function best when we exist in a world where we know who we are and we know that we're loved and we know we're made for good things. And from there, we seek to love one another the way that God loves us with agape, with a self-surrendering, all-encompassing kind of love. And then build relationships of trust where we can lean on each other and not leave each other. And from them comes amazing things, the kinds of which pastors cannot describe, right? And that's just the ordering of the world. That's not a God up there creating rules to try to keep us down. That's a God up there trying to set us free so that we'll be happy. The Bible from beginning to end describes relationships in this way. From the very beginning, the healthiest relationships we have follow this ordering of relationships. Adam and Eve, from the very beginning, clung to one another and, and built relationship in trust with one another. The whole of the Jewish scriptures takes the, the metaphor of husband and wife and uses that as a description of God's relationship with humanity. Uh, Israel, the, the people of God, when they are faithless, when they run away to other gods, are often described as a person committing adultery. And God is faithful all the same. Because promises and trust are the grounding of the deepest relationships. Uh, even in Song of Songs, which is a book of erotic poetry in the Jewish scriptures, I kid you not, it is vivid. Go home and read it. Back then, I don't know, I don't know how metaphors worked back then. I mean, they were surrounded by nature, and so everything, it's, it's, this, it's this couple, these lovers writing letters to each other, and everything is compared to nature, because that's, like, I don't, I read, go home and read it. I read Song of Songs, and I was like, there is no part of the human body that looks like a deer. What are you talking about? But go home and, go home and read it. Uh, it's, these, it's these two people oogling each other. And even in that book of erotic poetry in the Hebrew Scriptures, Song of Songs 116 says, and our beds are inexperienced. Our beds are inexperienced. Because 
they're here. They're not here yet. And they haven't gotten to that. Jesus picks up the, the language of Genesis and says that a husband will leave his family and cling to his, cling to his wife and the two will become one flesh. And even Hebrews 13, 4 says, keep the marriage bed pure. The, the idea of the, the modern relationship uh, where sexual liberation is a sign of independence and autonomy and maturity would have been unfathomable in the world of the scriptures and in the mind of Jesus because it's, it's not how we're made. Look at the modern college relationship in America, right? It goes right into this and this frantically, right? Oh my gosh, I love you, let's get in bed, right? And that's, sometimes that's date one, right? If this comes around, it comes around much later, and they've lost the vocabulary for it. Like the, the modern, listen to the modern generation and how they craft their relationships. They've lost the vocabulary. It used to be, will you be my wife or husband, right? Will you? This, this is how the commitments are made. So are we a thing or what? And the other person who's actually just sitting next to, next to them, but on the phone, LOL, I guess so, winky face. I mean, that's, and then, there you go, I guess we're there, right? If this comes around, it comes around later and it comes around ambiguously after chemistry has taken over and they are passionately intertwined, right? This can fade over time, which causes this to fade, which brings into question, what do we really do here? And can you imagine getting all three of these pieces in place and then going, now, who am I? Now that I've, I've got a history and a story and a background that, that doesn't quite feel clear, that confuses me. I, I'm still trying to figure it out. Who am I? It's so hard to get this piece into place last. Again, this is not God up in the heavens saying, I've got some rules for you that I really hope tie you down. This is God up in heaven saying, I made you, I want you to be happy, you're beautiful, and I made you in a certain way. Now bear in mind, above all else, we are followers of the one who stood beside a woman caught in adultery and stopped religious people from throwing rocks at her. Because their religious law said, if you uh, commit adultery, you deserve the death penalty. And Jesus stood between them and her and told them to go take a long walk, right? Jesus stood between them and her and said, yeah, and you guys are innocent, I guess. And, and that is the calling of we who follow Jesus. Jesus is not waiting to throw rocks at us for our broken past. And Jesus in no way empowers the church to throw rocks at anybody else. And the church now has a solid 2,000 years behind it of throwing rocks at whoever it can. We have no right. We have no right. The calling of we who follow Jesus is to stand next to to stand next to broken people and love them as they figure it out. And that's all we're empowered to do. What, what Jesus wants for us is not a, a con confined uh, religious life where we just feel suppressed all the time. It's a life of freedom. If you are filled with the Spirit, you are not under law. God wants us to live in the freedom of the Spirit. Uh, Paul elsewhere will craft a beautiful description, a beautiful picture of what love looks like. It's in 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, and I've presided at so many, so many weddings now. I, I, know, I, th I think I mostly know this one by heart. Paul says, look, 
the kind of love that you're after. Because Corinth was a mess. Corinth had all kinds of uh, sexual problems and there were sexual cults at Corinth. Corinth was like the Las Vegas of its day. Uh, Las Vegas had nothing on Corinth. Corinth was an amazing place. And, and Paul says, look, in all the confusion going on at Corinth, this is what love is. Love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It isn't proud. Love doesn't dishonor the other, and it's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered, and it keeps no record of wrongs. Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. And that's what Jesus wants for us. That we won't live lives damaged by the twisting of love, but that we'd be filled with a kind of love that is pure and true and real. Let's pray more of that into our hearts. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you love us and that you call us to yourself and that by your power you work in hearts that have been broken through confusion and disorder and uncertainty. God, fill us with your Holy Spirit that we might know you more, that we might feel your power coursing through those parts of our lives that have been broken and healing those wounded places and restoring us to new life. I thank you that because you went to the cross, we don't face punishment, but instead, by your spirit, we, we face freedom. So now, Jesus, work in the hearts of anyone here who is just wounded by this life, and, and especially in the, the area of intimacy, is just so afraid. God, may your, your spirit heal those, those broken places. As you do so, may we rest in our identity in you. Rest knowing that we are children of God. May we learn to love the way that you love us. May we build relationships in promise and in trust. And from there, may we celebrate in freedom. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. Now, will you help us welcome others to real life? Share our podcast or find us on Instagram or Facebook at Real Life LA. If you'd like to become a supporter, please visit reallife.la and tap give to help us welcome everyone to real life. God bless and have a wonderful day.